The testing crunch is here. The White House says it plans to mail half a billion of these rapid COVID tests, but that's not going to do squat if you're trying to get yourself tested ahead of the holidays. Meanwhile, the U.S. population growing at its lowest rate since the country's founding. And are you taking the red pill or the blue pill, Baker? The Matrix is mm. back, but is it any good? No spoilers here. What do you need to know? <laughs> Let's go. Oh, good hump day, everybody. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for December 22. I am Carlo Versano here once again with a quarantining Baker Machado. Symptom check, yes. Baker. Uh, symptoms so far good. Everything uh, Gucci so far. Day five. Captain's Log day five here in quarantine. I, I think now um, I am now 50% to freedom, which is very exciting, Carlo Versano. But the big deal today, of course, we'll give you guys an update tomorrow. I'm getting uh, my, my COVID test today, so we'll figure out if I'm still negative at this point. But either way, halfway to freedom, which is, of course, the best news here. You know, you don't have to be quarantining, right? I don't think, the, given that you're vaccinated, I don't think that the CDC needs you to, or like requires you to to do the quarantine. I mean, you may still want to. Do do you? I just don't want you to think that like, you know, Fauci's going to come wait, down and like arrest you. Wait, you are saying I could have been free and out and about in the town as, a, as for all of these days and I haven't done it. I've just been sitting on my couch for five days. My goodness. <laughs> You're just that using this as everything. an excuse to, yeah, you're using this as an excuse to just hang out and uh, wrap your oh, presents yeah. and. Yes, cancel my gym membership, all of that right. stuff, just really gorging myself. Uh, Carlo, yeah. I do want to talk about something we had been chatting about yesterday and uh, an update. Uh, we'll call it a correction, but it's more so an update because I don't think a lot of people knew about this. We were talking about uh, the Bidens getting uh, a new dog and also a cat that would be joining the White House uh, soon. And we were talking about how the last cat we believe that was in the White House was socks from the Clinton years, uh, we were incorrect. It was actually India, which was in the George W. Bush administration. A lot of people don't remember George W. Bush had a cat named India. Uh, this cat actually had lived with the family uh, all the way back from when uh, Barbara and Jenna Bush were nine years old, and the cat ended up mm. dying at, at the White House uh, when it was 18 years old. But either way, big news there that there was a cat, at least in the George W. Bush years. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, leading off the podcast with that very important news, Baker. Much appreciated. I did not know that, yes. and now I do. So thank you. <laughs> yes, indeed. And we do have a very heavy show, Carlo. Uh, so let's dive into the other big headlines that we're following for you guys today. And we got to start once again with Omicron. President Biden's pledge to distribute 500 million at-home rapid tests won't take effect until January. And the country's current testing capabilities are already buckling under the combined weight of the demand from holiday travelers and the fast-spreading Omicron variant. Now, news here, CVS and Walgreens are now limiting how many rapid tests customers can buy. That's if even, of course, you can find them right now. The lack of supply of the rapid tests, a result of limited federal investment, a sluggish regulatory process, and the lack of new uh, raw materials out there. CVS is now saying, Carlo, their limit is six at-home COVID tests that you'll be able to purchase. Walgreens is saying you can only purchase four right now. Again, that is only if you're able to get this right now. Uh, but the New York Times, mm -hmm. the front page today on the New York Times website right now, uh, just basically Americans not so much worried about the Omicron variant. We're just enormously fatigued by all of the variants now. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Jill actually sent me a great um, uh, investigation that ProPublica did that I missed from a few weeks back, just explaining sort of why this the, the testing failure is what it is, and it just goes back to you know the those a couple of those things that you mentioned, right? The FDA has been slow moving on getting more of these tests on the market, and the Biden administration and the Trump administration just didn't put nearly enough money into the testing apparatus, really from Jump Street. I did find a great website yesterday that I'm going to link to in the newsletter today. It's called uh, Now in Stock. Dot net and it's um it, it, oh, it's great. useful for men, for many different things but one of the things that they they have on there is they they have covid test trackers so they'll tell you you know where the tests are currently in stock and where they're on pre-order and where they're out of stock around the internet as well as how much they're going for so i'm looking at it right now it looks like amazon's pcr collection kit is in stock um and Walmart has some of the antigen self-tests that are in stock, but they're pretty much out of stock everywhere else. Um, so that, that that's just useful, I think, to, to keep bookmarked. You know, I, so I was watching Biden yesterday. Uh, I, I was wondering when I was watching him how much of this sort of about face they're doing on testing just came from the brutal coverage um, from the media, ourselves included, uh, from when Jen Psaki made that sarcastic remark a couple weeks ago about sending people free tests, which, of course, is now what they're doing. Um, right. I, I don't know. It, it, I mean, I I don't think it's, it was me, of course, but I don't think Jen Psaki or the White House is listening to this podcast, but I'm certainly happy to have helped uh, if I was at least a small part of that. Um, but like you said, like you said, the problem, of course, is that, you know, this isn't going to address the current problem. It's going to be too late to right. affect the real the real meat of this surge, which is happening right now at the worst possible time as people gather for the holidays. But, you know, look, better, better late than ever, which is really, I think, the Amer the American motto when it comes to the pandemic. Well, um, I and, yeah. and, and and this just gets to a, a larger point of uh, has the pandemic been mismarketed by the administration, by health officials? I mean, uh, the fact that President Biden's speech yesterday, you know, the 500 million COVID tests that the the, the uh, government is going to be sending out, Carlo, that's not going to start until January. And then, as you have mentioned many times in this podcast, the the administration has said, look, you can uh, retroactively. Uh, ask your insurance provider to cover your previous COVID test. But again, that doesn't retroactively start until January the 15th. Uh, so that's still way down the line. And again, we're only December the 22nd, and we're already averaging 154,000 COVID tests or COVID cases, new cases per day. So basically having to wait almost another month right now. I mean, we're we're probably already undercounting a lot of the cases that are out well, there we, right we, now, just because just because people can't get tests and, and either from drugstores or waiting in line at health clinics. Well, yeah, I mean, look, the best case scenario, I think, is by the time these kits are available and they start going out in the mail, we're not going to need them because Omicron has morphed into something sort of akin to the seasonal flu, which it sure looks like it's happening if you look at the data right now. I mean, we should be seeing spikes in hospitalizations in places like New York City now, and we're just not. I saw the uh, the, the CEO of Northwell Health, which is one of the big um, hospital networks here in New York. Uh, I think he was on CNN yesterday, and he said, hey, they're fine. He said they're, they're running at about 10 percent mm -hmm. uh, ICU capacity. Uh, as in like 10% of their ICU beds are filled. Um, now, that's going to be a different story once Omicron, I think, makes its way to some places where the vaccine, the vaccine penetration is less. 
But that's not a sure thing, right? I mean, this thing does appear to be pretty mild compared to uh, past variants we've seen. Also, on that note, just one small helping of crow today. I'm actually going to eat this crow on behalf of you, Baker, because I believe it was you who said in passing, uh, someone pointed this out yesterday, that the Florida vaccine rate was below 50 percent. Florida is actually at 63 percent fully vaccinated, which is better than the national median. Um, so just, you know, some apologies there if we offended <laughs> any Floridians. Florida gets yes. enough ridicule yes. as it is. I don't want to I don't I yes. don't want to add to the pile on. Uh, well, thank you for that, Carlo. I, I, I did see also this morning uh, in, the, in the New York Times, uh, Israel is at least planning right now yeah. to potentially start a fourth booster shot for individuals over the age of 60. I, I, it did say the CDC is right now at least looking at the possibility of those who are immunocompromised of at least potentially getting that fourth booster shot here in the United States as well. But that's now something to look at, given the fact that we have mimicked a lot of the research that has been coming out of Israel. So if Israel's already sort of starting the next the next booster shot storyline, likely that's going to be a talking point we'll see here in the United States as well. Yeah. I mean, we can't even we can't even get people get people to do their their third shot. So I don't know who that's thinks true. that they're going to get they're going to get true. four shots in arms. But meanwhile, the pandemic helped send you the U.S. population growth, Carlo, to its lowest rate on record. The country's population grew by just one tenth of a percent between July 2020 and July of this year. That, according to the census, it's the first time that the nation's population grew by less than one million people since 1937. And don't forget, Carlo, last year, COVID basically brought down the mortality rate in this country as well by almost two full years. 1.8 years is how much the average American life expectancy had dropped over the course of 2020. Uh, right now, life expectancy is about 77 years in this country, down from 78.8, which it was in 2019. Yeah, this is one of these big, you know, big stories that uh, we don't really understand, I think, quite yet. There's a lot of things happening here. Um, one of the things from the from the data I, th I found fascinating, net arrivals, which means basically people coming into the United States from abroad, uh, eclipsed the birth surplus. And the birth surplus means, you know, how many more people were born than people who died, right? Uh, for the first time ever, that number um flip-flopped. So population population growth has been slowing for years. It, it, it started before COVID, but the pandemic really accelerated this trend, really, I think, more than just about anybody expected. And again, there's a lot of reasons for this um, that I think social scientists are trying to figure out what's happening, but it's happening across demographics. Um, Here's a statistic that blew my mind. The Mormon fertility rate is now barely above replacement. The Mormons if the Mormons aren't reproducing, we are kind of screwed, right? I mean, like literally. Um, but you know, if only if only there were millions of hardworking people literally risking their lives to become Americans, we could probably at least uh, attempt to solve this problem. Oh wait, there are, and uh, you know, we, our immigration <laughs> system is so completely messed up that uh, we can't figure out how to get them in here in a legal way. Um, I want to get uh, to this next story out of my home state in Colorado because it is such a heartbreaking and complex story here. Uh, more than four and a half million people have signed a petition now urging clemency, Carlo, for a truck driver who was sentenced to 110 years in prison for causing a deadly crash outside of Denver back in 2019. Rogel Aguilera Maderos was driving uh, his semi-truck on I-70 above the speed limit, about 85 uh, miles per hour is I think what the reports were, when his brakes failed on his truck, and that led him to slam into traffic, causing a 28-car pileup 
and that ended up killing four people. Now, he was not under the influence whatsoever, but a jury convicted him of the of vehicular homicide. And then the conviction triggered Colorado's mandatory minimum laws, even though the judge said he would have given the man a lighter sentence if he could. Uh, even one of the jurors in an interview uh, was holding back tears, saying that the 110-year the, um, sentence was not justified in this case uh, because, he, again, not under the influence, had no prior criminal history. Uh, right. But the prosecutors have basically said that there were off-ramps potentially that he should have been able to take his truck off the side of the road uh, and basically try to get out of this. Now, um, clemency is one particular issue that is up for grabs by the governor. The governor's office, though, saying that uh, clemency paperwork has not been filed by this individual. Uh, but the man had basically said in, in the courtroom that basically he's not a murderer. He's, he is a nice person and that he would have asked God to take his life instead of those uh, who lost their lives in this car accident. But either way, just a sad, heartbreaking story here, Carlo. All around, really. Uh, truck drivers have been actually refusing to drive through Colorado and and protest. The truck driving industry sort of creating a, a kind of like Rocky Mountain blockade, uh, you might call it. And the Denver Post, I, I don't know if you saw this, they wrote an editorial last week urging Governor Polis uh, to do something about this and to take on these mandatory minimum laws, which are another one of these vestiges of the tough on crime playbook sort of from the 1990s, even though they're often unfair and arbitrary, as this case illustrates. Um, but, you know, look, obviously, I think there should be a accountability if four people die in, in, a, in a car accident. But, but it seems like to me uh, that the truck company should be held accountable, not this poor guy who even if he was driving over the speed limit, it doesn't seem – he certainly wasn't um, – act. I, I don't think he was really being reckless. I mean he even said he was trying to get on one of those off-ramps uh, and there was right. another truck blocking the way. Um, and that truck company, by the way, has a record of safety mishaps. But you know, this this goes back to something that uh, you know, we, we've been talking about on the podcast for a while, which is kind of like the, you know, what's happening in criminal justice reform right now. And the problem with mandatory minimum laws, it's the same problem with things like solitary confinement and with excessive bail, in my opinion. It's that, you know, these are instruments that prosecutors use to bully defendants into taking a plea deal because it makes the defendants either afraid of or unable to afford the time it takes to go to trial. It's just this heavy-handed mechanism of the state's power against its citizens, and that's supposed to be the basis of the criminal justice reform movement. Now, somewhere along the line, the left, the you know, progressives sort of like transmogrified that into just not prosecuting violent criminals. Um, I don't know how that happened, but it's completely idiotic, and it probably sent the whole reform movement back like a decade because most people, I think, reacted to that by being like, so you're just saying that we should just let violent criminals out uh, out onto the streets. It's like, no, that's that's not what we're saying at all. That we're, but what we're saying is there needs to be um, – you know, we, we have to get rid of some of these like sort of heavy-handed approaches that that are just like one-size-fits-all, right? No, I think you bring up a lot of interesting points. And, and, and one thing that gives me just a little bit of a sliver of hope here is uh, out of all of the sort of polarizing uh, partisan topics that are out there, weirdly interesting, uh, 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 criminal justice reform is one area that you've actually seen Republicans and Democrats actually come really to, to the table on. I mean, President Trump famously met with Van Jones mm. and Kim Kardashian. Uh, he wanted criminal justice reform to be a big part of his of his um, of his administration. And a lot of that has basically also trickled back to the uh, to the Biden administration as well. Uh, so it, it has uh, it has actually made some strange bedfellows on this particular topic. Mm. Uh, in this one in particular, the judge has basically said he was just 
doing what the law is basically requiring him to do in this particular case with this truck driver. Uh, but it does seem like if the paperwork is at least filed, the governor, Jared Polis, who is very popular in the state of Colorado, at least would at, take a look at it, which I think yeah. is at least movement from where we had been in the past, where a lot of times something like this would have happened. And I think the politics would have allowed, would have basically forced governors to, not, to look the other yeah. way on something like this. Um, let's talk four, about four point four point six million signatures on that petition. I mean, that's that's I mean, unheard that's of. I don't think that you've ever seen a that Yeah, uh, that, that's going to cause him to, to at least take a look. Yeah. Absolutely. Meanwhile, big news uh, in the labor world here, Carlo, the 11 week strike at Kellogg's is now over. That after workers approved a multi-year contract with the cereal maker, the union says the deal didn't include any concessions and employees will be granted across the board wage increases, cost of living adjustments and even better benefits now as a result. Kellogg's has been threatening to permanently replace the 1,400 striking plant workers in Michigan, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee that before both parties returned to the bargaining table to hammer out the contract. I mean, Carlo, we talk so often, you know, at least on Wake Up With Shatter about the labor market, but it is incredible, you know, what's been going on with Deer, what's now been going on with Amazon, what's now happening here in New York with Starbucks. Basically, this environment uh, is the best sort of employee environment right now for workers to basically renegotiate their rights when it comes to the things that they're sort of they're working on uh, in terms of the work environment right now. All the more reason why it's amazing to me that uh, the Democrats aren't making a bigger deal about this. I, I, not all of them, though. I don't know if you saw this. Bernie Sanders was out there on the Kellogg picket line last weekend talking to uh, striking workers and their families. You know, say what you will about Bernie Sanders, but the guy talks the talk unlike any other politician in America, maybe ever for that matter. It's really something. Um, I just remain flummoxed that, the, you know, that Democrats haven't latched on to what's happening in organized labor as a way to try and get back some of these working class voters that they lost to Donald Trump. It just seems so obvious to me. And I know that everyone says like, oh, Joe Biden is like the, you know, a friend to uh, organized labor. He's like the, you know, the, 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 the strongest the union president we've had. President we've had. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, sure, I sure haven't seen him out on any picket lines. He has it. No, that, and that's a very good point. And remember when Amazon was trying, uh, workers in the, the Bessemer, Alabama plant were trying to unionize before the failed vote happened. Uh, Biden did come out and support those union workers, which, again, unprecedented for a sitting president mm -hmm. to do that. But we should note the union vote ended up failing and we haven't really heard from the president about union workers uh, really since then. Uh, but this, as you mentioned, has really sort of opened up the door for Republicans here. Uh, Marco Rubio has famously come out saying that the Republican Party needs to be the party now of the working uh, class the labor unions, all basically those sort of disenfranchised Democratic voters over the course of the last few decades um, uh, th that were definitely appealing to a, a somebody like pre former President Trump back yeah. in 2020. My grandfather, uh, would be, my, he would, my grandfather would be rolling in his grave if he saw the Republican Party trying to become take on the mantle of organized labor. And if honestly, if they're able to pull that off, the Democrats deserve to lose because that's just embarrassing. Yeah, no, no. I think you're I think you're spot on. And the same for with my my grandparents who are also union members as well. Yeah. Um, uh, the long awaited fourth installment, uh, Carlo, of the Matrix franchise dropped on HBO Max overnight. The Matrix Resurrection still sitting at a respectable but nothing special. Seventy one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics uh, are kind of split right now over its added value to the original 1999 blockbuster. Now, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss reprise their iconic roles as Neo and Trinity in the film. Uh, as I mentioned, reviews 
okay, okay. Um, I think I saw Brian Laurie of, of CNN say, you could take the red pill or the blue pill, but in this one, I'm taking the sleeping pill, which is why I had <laughs> joked about that at the top of the show. Uh, but some other people are saying, look, it brings back the nostalgia, which is really what you want. And, and what I find to be most intriguing here is this is one of the last few movies that HBO Max is putting on the streamer that they had basically said at the early onset part of the pandemic that they would put their films on the streamer uh, before they would start going back to theatrical releases next year. Um, if anything, maybe this is the best news for HBO Max, given the fact that Omicron cases are running rampant right now. And, you know, people like me who are stuck at home for the holidays just need something to watch right now. Well, it's interesting, right? I mean, this this is the last of the 2021 Warner Brothers slate that is, to your point, getting a simultaneous streaming and theatrical release known as Day and Date. The studio reverting back to an exclusively theatrical release plan next year, um, really, I think, acknowledging that the Day and Date experiment kind of failed. It just wasn't. I mean, it, it, it was it wasn't a failure, I think, in terms of um, consumers, right, in terms of viewers. People like being able to watch these big movies at home, but it just wasn't good for the studio system and it wasn't good for the theater industry. They made The studios made a lot of enemies, particularly Warner Brothers, uh, in the theater industry by doing this this year. Um, and you know, this time last year, I, I thought Day and Date was really going to be the future, but I think that it's pretty clear it's just not the, the future that the studio system wants. These movies just don't make enough money at the box office if they're available to stream uh, from your couch. I, the major, I would have actually seen this if I could go to the movies. Uh, I would and didn't have an infant daughter. I would go. I would go see this in the you movies. Wanna, I, you want the special I, effects? I, I was sort of excited for it. All the things that you get. In the yeah, movie. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll be disappointed as I've been with at every turn with this, the the latest, you know, batch of sequels and reboots. But do you remember actually, because you're of the same sort of vintage as me. Uh, do you remember seeing the original Matrix in the theaters when yeah, it came out I when did. we were in high I school? Did. I saw that and the second one in theaters. And I, I it was yeah. amazing. It was so great. It was so groundbreaking at the time. It was. And I just those were the days when, like, I don't know about you, but I would go to the movies with my buddy Ken and we would just go. We would go to the movies. We would we had we wouldn't even know what we were going to see. We were just like we decided to see The Matrix because, like, the poster looked cool. We didn't know anything about <laughs> it. Right. Uh, I feel like kids growing up these days that they don't really have that experience anymore. And it's such an amazing experience to just see a, a movie like that, that you have no idea what's coming and you're just sort of like blown away in your seat. When I was a, a freshman in college, I worked at a movie theater, and that that's what I would do. When I was not working on the clock, I would go and walk into different theaters and watch different films. It was sort of like the best <laughs> perk at the time. Because, by the way, at the time, I think it was making like $7 an hour. So it was like the only right. perk I was really getting was all these free movies. <laughs> um, if anything, maybe what we've learned – and, and this is going to be interesting this weekend. If Omicron, because of Omicron, how does Spider-Man do week two now in theaters, mm -hmm. given the fact that everybody who maybe wanted to see Spider-Man has already seen it, so does it have staying power? That will be a big question this weekend. But if anything, to your earlier point about streaming movies, we've learned that I think adult dramas are now basically going to always be on streamers. Last night I watched the new mm -hmm. uh, Being the Ricardos on Amazon. Uh, the I love how was that? With, uh, with, it's good. It's good. She's great. I, I, I'm not really sold on Javier Bardem as Desi Arnaz. Um, the, you know, it's an Aaron Sorkin film, so it's got you're exasperated by the amount of dialogue that's in it. Right. Um, but but it's not bad. She's she's really, really good. And you learn a lot about Lucy in the process. My point, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is, is I think traditionally that would have been a theatrical release that maybe would have garnered 10 to 20 million dollars at the box office. Yeah. But Ben Affleck brought up a really big point last week, which is 
when you have these companies like Amazon or Disney, which have massive marketing tools at their disposal, they actually can get better penetration on a movie like th these adult dramas on their streamers than they ever would have had them in the theaters because you can target, micro-target the uh, to the people wherever on Amazon mm -hmm. that they're watching to get them to watch these particular movies much better than they ever would have been like to be like, all right, I'll spend 20 or $30 and go see it in the theater. Right. Well, plus a company like Amazon doesn't actually care how being the Ricardos does. It just cares if True. it keeps people True. subscribed to Amazon Prime. Right. That's sort of the problem. I think that this is sort of decoupled, um, you know, the, the art from the uh, artistry. Well, OK, well, anyway, and, we're going. And we're, I think, yeah. and I, no, hold on. And one last note. I'm just going to say on this. And, and I want to say this about Netflix, too. I think they care. They spend a ton of money for it to win an Oscar. So that way they can continue to say to people, we yeah, have the best sure. films ever. And that's because we've won all these awards on yeah. it. Uh, but yes, that's a more good point. Know, okay, uh, more to know before we go, Baker. Head us, kick us yeah, off. A jury in Boston found a Harvard professor guilty of lying to the feds about its ties to China. Charles Lieber, a world-renowned uh, nanoscientist who chaired Harvard's chemistry department, found guilty on all charges related to payments that he took from the Chinese government for a talent program. The case was closely watched as a test of the Justice Department's crackdown on Beijing's attempts to infiltrate American universities that in order to gain scientific expertise here. Carlo, big news here. Yeah, keeping an eye on uh, what's going on over in Russia, Putin really upping the rhetoric against Ukraine, saying Russia has, quote, no room to retreat in its standoff with the United States over uh, the Russian military presence on the Ukraine border. P Putin's foreign, or excuse me, his defense minister also claiming that the United States was deploying mercenaries to carry out some sort of chemical attack in Ukraine to provoke Russia. Obviously, we're not doing that, but, but you know, this is the Russian playbook. They blame us for something that they're about to do. So be prepared. We are probably almost certainly going to see an all-out invasion of Ukraine within the next uh, couple of months. This, it, it, it may get ugly this winter. Meanwhile, back in Washington, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell extending an open hand to Senator Joe Manchin, saying that the Democrat from West Virginia is welcomed across the aisle in caucus with the Republicans. Now, Manchin had refused that wooing for years, but he's become person non grata to a lot of Democrats that since he sank the Build Back Better bill. Uh, now, Manchin in the past, we should note, has, uh, has, has said he has no plans on switching parties. If he does switch parties, a lot of political uh, analysts suggest he might uh, drop the Democratic label and become an independent, but still caucus with Democrats. Mm -hmm. We have to also note that Joe Manchin up for re-election again in 2024, uh, potentially likely when Donald Trump is on the ballot in a state like West Virginia, that Trump won uh, over 30 percent of the vote. Uh, so Manchin obviously thinking of his political calculus here. And one last thing I'll note, the New York Times reporting yesterday, McConnell's number two, John Thune uh, from South Dakota, uh, mulling a potential retirement uh, this year. John Thune, the handsomest guy in the Senate, right? Yes. That guy yes, is a, a good-looking guy. Remember, by the way, when the biggest, one of the biggest political upsets ever was when he knocked out uh, Tom Daschle, who was the majority leader at the time in that South Carolina or the South Dakota uh, election. Um, and f okay, a little update here. New York City making contingency plans to uh, scale back the Times Square New Year's Eve ball drop because of what else? Omicron. Uh, our mayor, Bill de Blasio, saying a decision will be made before Christmas whether to cancel the celebration altogether, even though you already have to be fully vaccinated to get into Times Square for the ball drop and it's outside. So why you would cancel this, I have no idea, even though it's, of course, I mean, the world's worst experience, but it, it's, still, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's still something people like to do. 
I don't know why we can't do it. I don't know. I'm just like so done. I mean, look, last year's New Year's was so weird where you had nobody there. I, yeah. I think we, even if we hate it, especially New Yorkers, no New Yorkers love uh, the Times Square festivities. Uh, but it was sort of weird having nobody there last year. So I think just in terms of the, the visuals of normalcy, I think we want to see people at, yeah. at Times Square for New Year's. Exactly. All right, guys, that's what you need to know for Wednesday, December 22nd. Hang tough. Be safe. We'll see you tomorrow.